This is Adam McKay uh, joining you in podcast land. And if you're on the Death at the Wing feed, we are indeed working on season two. But Hyperobject Podcasts uh, has a very cool show coming up uh, that we wanted to let you know about. It's called Reunion, uh, Shark Attacks in Paradise, and it is the creation of Daniel Duane, uh, who's an accomplished writer about nature and surfing. And let's let Daniel jump in here. Daniel, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Adam. Thank you. Appreciate this. So, Daniel, I, I've been trying to tell friends of mine what this story is about. And I find myself saying, well, it's one of the worst shark attack stories ever. But at the same time, there's so many layers to it. What, what do you tell people it's about when they ask you what you've been working on? Yeah, that's... I find it kind of interesting to see what pops out of my mouth in those moments, right? You're talking to a friend. What are you working on? What's it about? Oh, wow. How do I say this? So <laughs> what I what I write and what I kind of find myself saying is this is a story about a, a little French tropical island way out in the Indian Ocean with kind of a lot of people living on it, like a Hawaiian island, 800,000 people, beautiful place, beautiful beaches, you know, fancy French hotels, good food, all that, great surf, where starting in 2011, they just started to have one of the world's worst ever streaks of ghastly shark attacks. And that it went on for so long that it ended up kind of turning the whole society inside out, like, you know, expo sort of exposing and exacerbating and force all bringing to the surface all these sort of government struggles and social conflicts and economic conflicts. And I don't know, a, a scientist I met there, um, a social scientist I met there on the island said to me, um, he said, the shark crisis on Reunion Island is a total social fact. I hadn't heard that phrase before, but I guess what he meant by that was that it just ended up kind of permeating every aspect of life, you know, and of course, all the way down to like individual people's you know, lost loved ones or decisions to surf anyway or, you know, all that. Yeah, I was struck by because um, I had heard about the story. I mean, it's, you know, in the surfing community and there's been a few small pieces done about it. But I was really blown away. And of course, it makes perfect sense. The scope of this story when nature turns uh, sideways on a people. I, I don't want to say against a people because nature is nature. You went all the way back to colonialist history, uh, divisions of class. We literally see the Jaws, you know, the mayor from Jaws dynamic play out. But in this case, there's environmentalists, there's uh, I hope I'm not spoiling too much, but like Bridget Bardot, um, what was the feeling like when you were on the island as far as the emotions? Because I know you were there after a lot of these tragic attacks took place and the island had sort of 
you know, found its resting state. But from talking to the people, what was your your sense of the emotional journey of realizing, oh, my God, the ocean is no longer safe? Yeah, that's yeah, you're you're exactly right about when I was there. Yeah, I was there in you know, late 2021. And in hindsight, it was a really particular and interesting moment to be there because you're absolutely right. It had been a couple of years since there'd been an attack. So people were kind of, you know, afraid to say it, but kind of wanting to say, God, it seems like maybe the worst of this has passed. And yet the horror was so fresh for so many people. And a lot of the pain of the social divisions were really fresh for people. So I mean, I ended up meeting quite a lot of surfers and, but also lifeguards who in a sort of weird way were like, you know, if you just think about the guys in the lifeguard stand and women at, at Malibu or somewhere, you know, this is like French Baywatch in a way, right? With sharks, but except it's nonfiction. So there's this whole kind of lifeguard core that they have these civil service jobs and they hang out all day on these beautiful beaches. Well, that meant they also were like right on the front lines. And these people are pretty badly traumatized. You know, they saw like really gruesome combat level horror, like, you know, the kinds of things that people only see in in war zones. You do an incredible job of connecting with the people on this show in a very human way because it's a tricky story. You're dealing with something as sensationalistic as shark attacks, but you're dealing with trauma. You're dealing with culture. You're dealing with, you know, businesses, livelihoods, and you do a great job of really balancing that empathy with the horror of the story. But I, I got to be honest, the thing that struck me was these the bull sharks. I, I had no idea they were this violence and the attacks were so uh, just gruesome. Talk a little bit about how you straddled that line in talking to these people. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I surf in California. I surf in Northern California in the middle of what's called the Red Triangle, you know, which is the great, great white shark land. And so I've thought about great white sharks for 30 years. I've sat on surfboards thinking, I hope there's not one under there. And, you know, friends of mine have seen them and had really scary close encounters with them. But I even met a guy in the water once who had actually been attacked by one. Uh, so it was a kind of complicated emotional intellectual place to be because just exactly like you put it, right? Which is that I'm here, I'm reading about these attacks. I'm hearing people telling me what they saw. You know, we, we have a long conversation in one of the episodes from a guy who survived a bull shark attack. That's actually a, it's, it's a gruesome story, but it's also a really beautiful story in a weird way, just because he's such an interesting person. And he processed the experience in such an interesting way. And I did feel kind of pulled in these different directions where on on the one hand, the details, the sheer violence of these attacks is so unlike anything I had ever heard of before that I I was kind of honestly amazed by that and wanted to understand it. And yet the people who are sharing these things with me are they're sharing the most painful experiences of their whole lives. Um, you can hear it. You can hear it when they're talking to you. They're in the moment. I mean, what really struck me about it, because we're living, obviously, some of the listeners of this podcast are living in America in 2022. And this must have occurred to you, Daniel. I haven't talked to you about this, but 
it reminds me of the gun violence stories. It reminds me of the opioid uh, devastation that's gone on where you have these really like the feeling is it's out of left field. It is just, you are not expecting it. I mean, reunion is really a beautiful place. Like you said, like Baywatch, French speaking, everyone's healthy. They love the ocean. And all of a sudden, essentially, you know, bull sharks are a force of nature, of course, but the descriptions of these attacks are like a serial killer and there's no rhyme or reason. And, and with a lot of, I think almost with every other shark, it's an accidental attack. Great whites think you're a seal. They see you on a surfboard. Bull sharks know full, am I wrong on this, Daniel? They know full well what they're doing. Yeah, I, th I think that's a really sort of sensitive and interesting point about this story is that the, you know, the, our oceans are endangered, our, they're being fished out, shark species are cratering. And so there, there are a lot of people on the environmentalist side, on the conservationist side, they sort of come from a place of saying, hey, please, please don't just like hype up the terror of shark attacks because it's, all, it's mostly prey confusion. You know, they, the shark is just mistaking the person for a seal or whatever it is. And all the evidence suggests that like with a great white shark, that is just absolutely right. Like a great white shark is this giant animal that can easily bite a person in half with one shot. And they typically don't in California. They come up, they take this chomp, and as long as they don't accidentally take one of your legs off or, you know, or hit a femoral artery or something, they usually, they seem to just kind of take this bite and back off and disappear and say, yeah, that isn't what I was after. And then maybe you just need like 200 stitches, but you know, you'd probably be okay. And that's just actually really not what happens with the bull sharks. They, they, the, the French call them bulldog sharks, les bulldogs. Uh, it's sort of funny, right? Cause they're using like an an English word transliterated into French, but they, it's more apt in the sense that they, they should be called, we should call them like pit bull sharks or something because they, they sort of bite and thrash and tear and they've come back again and again. They're just all these things that, you know, people who studied, who study sharks for real and really know sharks have sort of long tried to communicate to the public. Sharks don't do this, you know, well, the bull sharks on reunion do do this. They come back over and over again. It's what's so tricky about this story, and I think you do a, a, an amazing job of balancing it. I mean, sharks are beautiful yeah. animals. They're, they're essential to the ocean. Bull sharks are incredible. They can, you describe it in the show, they can go into fresh water. They have this like evolutionary mutation where their cells can hold extra salt so they can go up a river. I mean, they're really smart. They, you know, they have incredible sense through their, the jelly they have in their nose. I mean, they're incredible and they're beautiful animals. I've seen footage of bull, bull sharks before. So, you know, a bull shark is like a volcano. You, you don't get mad at a volcano. You just deal with it. But make no mistake about it. Bull sharks aren't biting by accident. I mean, they know what they're doing. And it's interesting, and, and I'm curious what you thought about this. You don't really get to it too much in the show, but you've done a lot of work on this, and there's a lot of episodes to come. But given that we're you know, living on an Earth that has never existed before for human, human beings, that we're living under a climate that we have never seen before, ocean waters or temperatures are fluctuating, there's overfishing, everything's changing, 
I found it really interesting that one of the most adaptable animals on the planet, the bull shark, is one of the first animals to start doing something it's never done before. And maybe that's my imagination running wild. Is there anything to that? Yeah. I mean, there, there is in the sense that, you know, bull sharks are the predominant shark species in Florida, for example, in terms of attacks, shark attacks, right? And Florida, in terms of sheer numbers, Florida is like totally the shark attack capital of the world. There's, I think in 2021, there were something like 28 shark attacks in Florida, most of them by bull sharks, apparently, you know, presumably. And not a single one of those attacks was fatal. Interesting. That's really peculiar, right? And yet on Reunion Island, same species over the course of this, you know, this crisis, at the height of the crisis, half of all bull sharks attacks on Reunion Island were fatal. Half. So 28 and zero, you know, or 0 for 28, whatever you want to call it in Florida, and uh, a 50% fatality rate on, on Reunion. And that's just fatal. Like most of the others also resulted in amputations or multiple amputations when people survived. And, you you know, you brought up the uh, the gun violence comparison. And I, you know, one, one piece of that that has really occurred to me and is interesting, I have thought of that. And one of the things that has made me think of it is that I, a guy who's in the show, one of our, one of the people we talked to in the show, Jean-Francois Nativelle, he's a guy who advocates very, you know, really aggressively, he becomes like this... He's a, P, a middle school PE teacher on the island, but also a surfer and a champion surfer. And he becomes a big advocate for culling sharks. You know, he's sort of trying to say to everybody, hey, something bizarre has changed in the oceans here. We don't know what, but something is different in the balance of nature that is making this happen. Well, he has a hard time getting anybody to listen to him. And one of his t sort of tactics later in the process is to show people these forensic photographs of what it looks like, what a human body looks like after these attacks. Um, and he showed these pictures to me and they are seared into my mind. I mean, it, the, seeing these pictures was like what police and FBI serial killers, profilers go through psychologically. And, and if I could just jump in very yeah, yeah, quickly, yeah, yeah, yeah. one of these moments is it's in the podcast where he shows you a slide of a bather who was attacked, a young girl. And you can hear in the pot. I can't imagine what you saw. And he did it very casually. Obviously, he had been used to it. Nothing against him. I understand he's trying to do the right thing. But that moment, oh, my God, you, you make a sound when you look at it that is just I didn't even see it. And I can't forget the sound that you made. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I really think you did a magnificent job of never picking a hero or a villain. And I think that is incredibly hard to do with a story as dramatic as this. I mean, Jaws, we kind of like Roy Scheider's character because he's afraid of the ocean. <laughs> so are we as the audience. And we like Quint and we want them to get the shark because we saw it kill a kid but it definitely is more complicated than that. And, and you did an amazing job of giving respect to all the different corners of the uh, uh, of the kind of picture. I was going to say argument, but not even argument. It's more like a picture. Can I ask you, when you were on Reunion Island, were there people that were 
angry with you? Were there people that assumed you were going to do something else? Were there people that were defensive? You know, what I really got was a lot of initial wariness. So this was a huge story in French national media for years. I mean, this was like at the level of the OJ trial. I didn't know that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It was a huge story. And you sort of have to think of it as like if, well, first of all, in you know, this island is there, Hawaii. You can fly there in one shot from Paris. It's a long flight, but you can fly there in a 10-hour flight from Paris. Beautiful hotels. The French Parisians really have gone there for generations. And it's truly world-class surf, and all their champions come out of it. So it'd be like if Kelly... And I'm, this is not really an exaggeration. It's a little bit, but not really. Like if Kelly Slater were out at Malibu surfing with, you know, Jason Momoa and Jonah Hill, for real, on... You know, on a beautiful day with the Malibu lifeguards watching, and let's say one of the Malibu lifeguards is Kelly's best friend, and two sharks simultaneously start ripping Kelly. Now, I don't, I shouldn't get us all imagining that because Kelly's a great guy, but I'm just saying, you know, they start hitting him, and then literally, let's say Jason Momoa swims out and tries to save him and can't. I mean, imagine what a news story that would be. Yeah. But so a lot of people on the island, though, are, um, they seem to have felt pretty badly burned by a lot of the tellings of the story over the years. So there was there was a kind of wariness initially, like, why are you doing this? Why are you here? Well, I'm sure. Including government officials, you know, all the way down to lifeguards. People were also really, really wanted to tell their story. So they were looking to be reassured, you know? They were looking to say, can, can, I really want to tell this story. Can I tell this story? I'm going to be very curious how they hear this story. And I know I could talk to you for another hour. I have so many <laughs> questions. So I'm going to say this, like your soft touch with it, your compassion, your openness. Um, I, I just think it's incredible. I really do. Congra I, I, I want to say congratulations. There's a tragedy at the center of it. So I don't even know if that's appropriate. But you just did a beautiful uh, a job of telling this story. So thank you. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm really grateful for the, for the chance to do this.